Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above. We give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Scouspo. Well guys, uh, we continue our pre-season summer previews. Uh, heading back into conference play with a look at Penn State. Uh, we'll get, you know, talk about them in just a sec. But before we do that, um, do, we do have to mention our, our new sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Uh, if you have not been to homefieldapparel.com to check out the new Northwestern line, go do that right now. Push pause on the podcast. Go check it out. Um, and, oh my God, these, these shirts are amazing. Yeah, we did our best to keep a lid on it for the week and kind of uh, not totally spill the beans because we'd seen the collection. We all, all three of us had ordered them. We'd seen them coming. Um, we knew what the shirts were going to be. And they, I mean, obviously you all know just how awesome these look at this point. Um, a ton of you got a chance to finally order home field apparel for Northwestern on Saturday. I think everyone was going crazy. So yeah, these these are fantastic. They really are. I, I've mentioned this on our prior two pods where we talked about it, but I love that there's a band shirt. I love that there's a, a lacrosse shirt. Um, this is this is a really fun way to support, you know, Northwestern writ large. And uh, they're super comfy shirts. They're really cool designs. Um, make sure you use our offer code, Westlot Pirates, uh, to get 15% off, both for your pocketbook and uh, help help us out on the pod. We're not we're not getting you know paid every time you use it or anything, but um, we want to make a really good showing being a partner in this in this launch, and uh, we're, re- we're we're just really excited to be able to buy these shirts as well. Yeah, I mean, especially Scuzz for like for the two of us as you know band alums to actually have a band shirt, like it's so flipping cool. Yeah, I, that's not something that would have been possible previously. No, not at all. Um, but yeah, so homefieldapparel.com, uh, use the code Westlaw pirates at checkout. Uh, all new, uh, all new orders get 15% off their first order. Um, and again, thank you so much to Homefield apparel for sponsoring the show. Uh, and we look forward to buying as many shirts as possible, um, moving forward. So with that, I, I can't, I can't wait until next. This is going way in advance the draft pod next year when I can finally, when we're, when we're on video doing the draft and I can just drape a million home field apparel shirts in on camera behind me there while we go. set that up. <laughs> I, I can't wait for when we pitch home field apparel on our Megan Markle, uh, prisoners of her majesty. <laughs> t-shirt. <laughs> so, um, let's talk about the Penn State Nittany Lions. Um, James Franklin, after flirting with other jobs this past offseason, signed a 10-year extension. Um, so he's not going anywhere. So hopefully his late-game coaching antics will not be going anywhere either. They they hope he ain't going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, John, I mean, the, the Penn State defense, you know, in years past has been kind of the the star of the team. Is there any reason to think that changes this year? Well, based on discussions we've had with Scuzz prior to the pod, I'd say no, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, 
Certainly, I mean the the bottom line. Yeah, the D is is where Penn State's bread is buttered, and that's not going to change. So it's weird to juxtapose the Penn State defense um, at you know the D at Penn State with the defenses on the rest of the teams in the Big Ten East because there's been so much yo-yoing on D on that side of the conference. Um, We've already previewed Michigan. We've already previewed Indiana. We've previewed Michigan State. Um, So you know, you know, just from what we've been talking about, that that those teams um, either are settling into defensive places that have not been the norm for these programs historically, or they've just been really inconsistent season to season, or both. And then you have the Nittany Lions, who on defense are just consistently cranking out great defense, regardless of the hurdles that come their way. And there have been some pretty serious hurdles. So Penn State is really the only D where we can ask, well, okay, they've been great. Will they stay great? Um, So as we discussed last year, Penn State had to do some real scrambling in 2020 to fill that massive void when Micah Parsons opted out and they largely pulled it off, even though the team record overall was horrible. Um, In 2021, the Nittany Lions were looking really strong at all three levels, but they had to find a pass rush. And given that they they knew coming in that they needed to find that pass rush, you can look at the things that went right and the things that went wrong for Penn State last year and kind of both speak to the quality of the defense and then the quality of what coordinator Brent Pry accomplished while he was at Penn State. So last year, Penn State had been expected to lean on star recruit Adisa Isaac to generate a pass rush, but Isaac was lost for the season to injury in the late summer, so he never played a down last year. But far worse for Penn State was the titanic loss of defensive tackle P.J. Mustafer in October. I think this is rarely said about defensive tackles, but the argument could be made, or at least partially made, Scuzz I think would stomp on the rest, that Penn State's season kind of pivoted on that Mustafer industry, uh, Mustafer injury, and that back half slide had a little bit to deal with to do with losing him. But consider this. Penn State may have had the number 10 run defense in the conference last year, but they were otherwise a top five unit in the conference in every way. And that's despite suddenly losing two guys who were by far expected to be the best two defensive linemen on the team. So when you're talking about the defensive culture that helped Penn State push through that the same way they pushed through the Micah Parsons situation the year before, you can look no further than Arnold Ebiketti. Arnold Ebiketti had six career sacks in four years at Temple, transferred into Penn State, put up nine and a half sacks and 18 tackles for loss as a super senior, and got himself drafted. He was one of the best defensive linemen in the conference last year. That is the culture that got Brent Pry hired as head coach of Virginia Tech in the offseason. And that's a big loss. But Penn State has got a blue chip replacement coming in. That would be Manny Diaz, father of the turnover chain, is coming up after being fired as head coach at Miami. And that is a pretty big get for Penn State. And it ought to keep the ship sailing smoothly. 
Interestingly, though, some of the problems that are going to be facing Manny Diaz this season look like slightly larger versions of the problems that Pry faced last season. In a weird way, the defensive line has the exact same question this year as last year. Can Adisa Isaac generate sacks, and can P.J. Mustafer hold things down inside? With Mustafer, the answer is obviously yes, if he's healthy. He is a 330-pound, immovable monster. He makes any run defense good immediately. Um, so, if he's healthy, he's the guy that makes their whole defense go. Adisa Isaac has kind of been the prince who was promised for a little while now, but... Again, this guy was supposed to be the man last year, and then he just got hurt. Every indication is that he's healthy. He's ready to make a big step up. And opposite Isaac, instead of a journeyman transfer from Temple this year, Penn State may have the number seven overall recruit in the nation playing at the other defensive line spot. Danny Dennis Sutton is this terrifying five-star defensive end who was the top player at his position coming out of high school, and he may step in right away at the opposite end spot. So this pass rush is untested, but given the pedigree of this defense and what it does with ends and the profile of these two guys, the potential for this pass rush is sky high. Behind the line is where things get a little squirrely. So last year's back seven that was forged kind of by the fire of that 2020 situation they were just unbelievable last year. Ellis Brooks, Brandon Smith, Curtis Porter uh, at linebacker with Jaquan Brisker, Jaliar Brown, and Tariq Castro Fields behind them. That is a group any Big Ten team would take in a second. Brooks and Smith combined for 181 tackles. Brisker, Brown, and Fields combined for eight picks, 16 passes broken up. That is an NFL unit all the way, and the NFL rated that unit big time. The only guys left from that unit are Porter, who was a former massive recruit, who was really solid last year at outside linebacker. Um, and he now kind of officially, he is the guy. At linebacker U, he is that guy coming in this year for Penn State. And then Brown in the secondary, who had an awesome six picks last year. So if you add in third-team All-Big Ten corner Joey Porter Jr., this is still they're like the, the bones of a really good back seven here. Um, so with that said, there are certainly some scenarios where things don't go particularly well for Penn State on defense. The Nittany Lions have to find two new linebackers to play next to Porter. And they're really green at middle linebacker. They have almost no incoming reps there. So theoretically, if P.J. Mustafer goes down again to injury at defensive tackle... They're green, they'd be green all the way through the middle, and there could be problems there. But if he doesn't, it's really hard to poke holes in this defense. Yes, it's young in certain places, but it is absolutely stacked with talent. And Penn State has just continuously been really good at turning out great guys through a lot of upheaval and a lot of trials and tribulations on that side of the ball. This team just tends to get the most out of its big-time recruits, and it's got a bunch of blue chip guys just ready to go. So my guess would be Manny Diaz steps in. Penn State's one of their sack machines, at least one, hits. Um, and this D just keeps on cooking. So all of this a long way of saying this is obviously where Northwestern runs into the wall offensively in the 2022 season. Um, any problems, 
that show up against Nebraska or show up against Miami of Ohio are just going to be magnified like crazy here. My read on it is the single thing that would probably make the biggest positive difference would be a dynamic inside-outside run game. Um, Honestly, that's probably going to be the thing, if there is a thing, that keeps Northwestern afloat in general through this brutal stretch of the season with the defenses we're going to be playing here. Um, I would say Northwestern's got to get the backs out away from Mustafer and away from Porter. And the way you do that is pull linemen into space and commit to the ground game long term. But the troubling thing is this. Penn State most likely represents the first defense of the season that theoretically could completely neutralize the Northwestern passing game. It's not much fun for us to talk about, but Northwestern's basically got four games to find an accurate quarterback and a dynamic number two receiver, right, to go with Malik Washington. Um, If they haven't figured those things out, I just don't see us accomplishing anything through the air against Penn State. And if we can't accomplish anything through the air against Penn State, it's not really going to matter what goes on at the gr- on the ground. So let's pray the first month of the season sorts those issues out. Because if we're still looking for answers against this defense, we are not going to find answers that we're going to like. You have a higher opinion of Manny Diaz than I do, but I can't. <laughs> I, but I can't quibble with the the talent and the and the pedigree and the and the. Yeah, identity and consistency that Penn State has had if, on defense over I mean, the years. I mean, if you if Manny Diaz runs this D into the ground, they'll run him out of town on a rail. Like, I mean, there. I mean, he's he's handing he's being handed a really strong culture with a massive amount of young talent. Um, and you know, Manny's up and down, but I think as a defensive coordinator, you know, particularly as father of the turnover chain, his Q rating was pretty high. So, um, you know, I, I would say he's bringing that in. Uh, so, Scuzz, um, on offense, Sean Clifford is back for, what, his 13th, 14th season at quarterback? I think it's like three and a half, but yes. <laughs> um, is that a good thing? I mean, I guess in the sense that he's a known commodity, but this is, um, I'm going to take this opportunity to, to sandblast some folks. Sure. I don't get to do this very often. Do um, it. Last year's Penn State offense is generally being described at, in in 2022 previews as mediocre, uh, underperformed, but they should be able to replace their losses and they'll be fine, though they won't be high powered. I would be much harsher than that. Penn State's offense last year was the worst they've had in six seasons. Mind you, this was an offense returning nine starters, including the quarterback. And everyone was hyped because they fired Kirk Chiraca and stole Mike Yurich from Texas. He was going to be the QB whisperer that fixed this offense, and they were going to explode and contend for the Big East Championship. They scored 25 points a game, down from 30 the year before. They hadn't been below 33 points per game in the four years prior to that. They gained 360, 376 yards per game. They haven't been that anemic since hitting 350 in 2015. But here's the kicker. 108 rushing yards per game. With a defense that only allowed its opponents to score 17 points. Penn State hasn't been below 170 yards per game since, nine, since 2015. And even then they ran for 130. Great job, Mike Yurich. 
<laughs> now, the schedule is definitely hard. Uh, Iowa and Wisconsin in a crossover. But let me tell you who they also struggle to run the ball against. Rutgers and Michigan State and Maryland and Villanova and really especially Illinois. People should know, just for point of reference, because a lot of you might be Northwestern's running attack was way better than Penn State's. For all the dump we did on on Northwestern at various times and all the, you know, the hair pulling about our offense, just know our running attack way better than Penn State's running attack. (laughs) It was horrible with like three, four and five star running backs in the backfield and an offensive line littered with talent. I mean, it was abysmal. Now, Sean Clifford was definitely hurt at times last year, but he played a lot, all 13 games. He attempted 428 passes. By the way, that's more than Penn State's total rushing attempts. Really, really effing weird for Penn State. Uh, his stats were virtually identical to 2020. This is my point earlier. Like, he's a known commodity. The, in- the interceptions improved a lot, but nothing else did. Now, jumping back a couple of years, I was concerned looking at 2020 that Penn State had gone from two big deep threats down to only one and that that would really hurt them in 2021. It did. Now, in 22, they have to replace their top receiver again in Jahan Dotson. They really struggled to replace KJ Hamler in 21, and now here we are again. They have dudes on the roster. They got Parker Washington, who was a good compliment last year. Keandre uh, Lambert-Smith, who was a good number three. They have decent tight ends. They've got a couple of young guys. Anthony Ivey looks like he has potential. Maybe Jaden Dotton, too. But, but that's it. I mean, there's a there's a crazy fast freshman in Caden Saunders who's five foot ten, but Washington already plays that slot Hamler role, so I don't imagine two of those guys getting on the field at the same time. They get a six foot transfer from uh, Western Kentucky in, in Mitchell Tinsley. He was great in that pass happy offense in the Sun Belt last year. This is where I remind you that Miami of Ohio, SIU, Indiana, Michigan State, and Nebraska, and even Rutgers have brought in higher pedigree receivers from the transfer portal this year than Penn State has. For a team losing far and away their best receiver for the second year in a row. Now, their offensive line last year was a mess. Not only was the running game abysmal, but their pass pro was below average for all of college football. Um, and, like, again, not the Power Five. All of college football. They were, like, in the 70s. This is a this is an offensive line littered with four and five star talent. Their sack rate was uh, on passing downs was significantly worse than ours, for God's sake. And again, they had a really tough schedule, but yikes. This year, they have two returning starters and they're filling ho- holes with transfers from Cornell and Juco. Again, other teams we have already previewed have brought in far more promising players on the offensive line. The right side should be really should be really solid, but the left, like, buckle up for the rare sophomore redshirt freshman combo on the left side of the Penn State line in a probable passing passing pass happy offense with a relatively immobile quarterback. Obviously, these guys all have a ton of pedigree, but my God. And then running back, I, it's problematic too. Like I typically say every year that Penn State, like what whoever they lost, whatever happened the prior year. They have such wild talent and depth in the running back room that they are going to be just fine. They will figure something out. That literally didn't happen. The opposite happened last year, and they really can't be worse than that. But I'm not sure that they can they can rebound to be good. 
they do get back uh, Kevon Lee, who had a had a pretty good year. Um, they lose Noah Kane, who was supposed to be you know the all everything to replace Saquon Barkley. He never he never panned out. Um, they have a a really good true freshman coming in Nicholas Singleton, but um, until the offensive line shows that it can spring these guys, and until the receiver core and the quarterback can show they can attack downfield and 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 stretch defenses, like they're going to be huge questions. So Phil Steele is predicting the exact same offensive output this year as last year. Perhaps Penn State is able to convert and score more. Um, I just I think they have problems on offensive line. They have a lack of traditional mismatches at receiver. They have a middle of the road quarterback who can't run. And it makes it really easy to shut down their their highly talented backs and their and and their uninspired offense. I mean, like like Yurich was supposed to come in and like blow this stuff up because Shiraka was was in over his head at a big school like Penn State. And like I, I just I just don't see it. I mean, I guess you can make an upside case that that year one was hard for Yurich. He's gonna have a dramatically better year in year two. He's got a healthy Clifford. Um who, who by the way, I might add, like Clifford struggled with with Chiraca and and really didn't change much last year, um, and and they, they, but I just I don't see how this happens without a massive improvement from the offensive line, and then they don't have any proven options at receiver, and they they didn't effectively replace the last one they lost, now they got to replace another. So I just I, I I think there is a at the very least like like whether or not we can hang with this team is a huge question mark because we have just as many questions on offense, but at the very least, it is pretty clear to me. There is a gulf between Penn state and the competitors in the rest of their division at this stage in the game. Uh, We normally don't talk about special teams in these previews, but I I do want to mention they had uh, a guy, Jordan Stout, who was drafted in the fourth round. Uh, Good name. Yeah, he was the Ray Guy Award finalist. He punted, kicked, and did kickoffs. He was he did all three, and he's gone. So, um, for what it's worth, they're gonna he, have he was, to. Did, did you say he won the Ray Guy Award? No, no, he was a finalist. Okay, so they had a Ray Guy finalist. It's and I mean, a top what fifteen ish defense that limited opponents to seventeen. I was I was about to say the exact same thing. And what found the F? And found ways to lose, and that's been the last two years. It's been the same thing. Yeah, James I mean, Franklin, everybody. James. Oh yeah, yeah. Ten, mm-hmm. ten more years of that. Yep. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! So let's talk about the schedule. Um, they open up the season at Purdue, uh, come home to play the Ohio Bobcats. Uh, they go down to Auburn on September 17th, home for Central Michigan before they play Northwestern. They have a bye week, then they're at Michigan, home for Minnesota and Ohio State, at Indiana, home for Maryland, at Rutgers, and finish off the season at home against Michigan State. So uh, where Northwestern falls on the slate, um, no real like advantage, no real look ahead spot considering their bye week is right after. 
you know, coming off a Central Michigan game that you know shouldn't you know prove much of a challenge for them. That's you know two weeks clear of the Auburn game, which who knows uh, what to make of that. But um, <laughs> Brian Harson, everybody. I mean, exactly, there's, right? there's a real chance Penn State's two and two when we play them. Um, there, there. I mean, you forget Purdue was a top five defense in the Big Ten last year, and this, they're you know. Whatever this, I mean, this offense, Scuzz is describing a potentially really bad offense. And I think they're, you know, they go on the road to Ross Aid first week of the season. Again, their D may be really, really good. Um, there are certain things that can go wrong, but again, you got to give credit where credit is due to their ability to adjust. Now, like we said, they lost Brent Pry. They're replacing with Manny Diaz. That's a big name going out and a big name coming in. But still, like, Scuzz really mapped out a situation. I mean, just people, just so you know, back up the last two years, folding in the absolute debacle for Northwestern last year. Northwestern has 10 wins in the last two years. Penn State has 11. Penn State hasn't been a good team for a little while now, and that's pretty much entirely due to this total mess on the offensive side of the ball. And, I mean, you can look and you'd be like, look, let's pull... I mean, pull a game like this down into the mud. I think what I'd be looking at, I mean, you mentioned the special team, Sam, and and kind of looking from our part, I'm thinking, you know, a good day on special teams, but also it's the kind of game where, okay, you know, there are degrees of bad, right? And if Penn State is not finding success against our defense, which again, they're, you know, like cross your fingers really hard for that. Penn State's offense may be bad, but that, you know, that may not take us all the way home on that, but we, on the flip side, we need a situation where Northwestern is not just failing to get five yards from our own 20 and then Penn State's working with good field position all game. If that doesn't happen, though, you could see this game kind of getting pulled down into the mud and being a game that stays close and, and a game where, you know, uh, we potentially could steal one against a marquee opponent. Man, I I'll, I would be... I would would be pretty surprised if they lose to Purdue in week one. I just feel like the the defense is good enough. Well, that's the thing. I mean, it could. It's it's a question of. I mean, Purdue has got to replace Karloftis, obviously, right? So, I mean, it's like and David Bell and Milton Wright. Oh, right, right. I'm just so like the the thing you're describing, right? Is I think Penn State's problem over over the past couple of seasons is their D keeps them in a ton of close games, and then James Franklin finds a way to lose those close games. So it's kind of like I certainly see a lot of situations on the schedule where that, you know, that potentially pops up again. I really want us to get into that group. Um, But I mean, you know, it'll I mean, just looking at Penn State's schedule overall. I mean, boy, I mean, because you mapped it out, right? Like, I mean, you think there's a pretty clear drop off between the top three teams in the East and then Penn State. Yep. (laughs) I mean, like, like, yeah, I even so I mean, I, I, I don't love. I don't love our matchup here. And like you talked about the inside outside run game, John, and that, that is Cam Porter's game. And that's what he did in those last three games of, of 2020 to, you know, to really unlock Northwestern's running attack um, and, and kind of dominate those games. Um, If, I mean, if that's the type of thing we see from the Northwestern offense with, with a more competent passing attack than last year, like, like we'll be, We'll be, I'll, I'll call it like Northwestern reasonable on offense. It'll still be like a subpar offense nationally, but we'll be Northwestern reasonable. And if the defense can like 
you know, get back to, to medium for a Northwestern defense, like, okay, maybe, maybe we could hang with Penn state, but it's in state college. Like there's other factors that just don't feel great to me there. Um, but there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven other like potential landmines on this schedule. And just feels like they're in for a, for a, a pretty tough year. Yeah. I mean, that's for sure. I'm looking at the schedule and being like, there, there's a lot of bumps for a team that right. Like Penn state's not coming from a position of strength here. They've got to work some stuff out. I think the thing that is keeping me up nights about this team is, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier, but right. They've got their, their warts and we can all talk about, you know, this potential stoppable force versus movable object that is the Penn State offense against the Northwestern defense. I mean, we'll see how that all plays out. But I think the single thing that worries me is is Penn State's got questions to answer on D, but there is a real chance that Penn State has an absolute blue chip pass defense. And I think we're all very aware of the fact that Northwestern has real things to sort out throwing the ball. And... This is a team that theoretically could have two guys who can get to the quarterback off the end really well, at least two guys who cover fantastically well in the secondary and take things away against everything we're trying to sort out on that side of the ball. And I just, I mean, I don't see us beating anyone flat not being able to throw the ball. Um, and so I that that kind of to me is the thing that I keep coming back to and, and kind of keeps me up, but you know, I think we're all hoping for a situation where Penn State just cannot get on track on offense. And this game is close and it stays close late. And then we we f- figure something out. I think of kind of like the first half of the Michigan game last year, right? And the way things kind of went sideways in the second half. But in the first half, that was kind of a mess. Uh, Michigan couldn't get on track. Northwestern broke a long run for a touchdown and the game was really close. That's the kind of scenario, you know, that I think we're hoping for against Penn State. The fact that we have Wisconsin the next week is uh, has any impact on this game? Nah. No, I mean it's just it's it's that's yeah. I think if 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 our coaching staff is is playing playing games like that, like they're they're in for a really rough year. Like, I mean, like tr- trying to get a trying to prioritize a Wisconsin game because of the division race is, is um, that's optimistic sure. at this no. stage. Uh, I, I agree. I just, you know, wondering like, you know, it, it, we're, we're not looking, you know, Penn state doesn't have any look ahead spot for that. Are we looking ahead to, I mean, not like we'd be looking ahead to Wisconsin for it. You know, that that's not the way it fits works, but it's you know, just you know, that, that question pops into mind, you know, they say you got to go one and zero each week, and you know you're not worried about the next week. But I mean, let's let's be real. Everyone knows the schedule. Yeah, so. I think I think it's that pivot following. I mean, I think we've spent right four four pods in a row talking about the first four games of this of the schedule, or three pods talking about the first four games on Northwestern schedule, and in there were a lot of teams that have. Certainly, certainly Nebraska, certainly Duke, certainly SIU, like warts on the defensive side of the ball. Then Miami of Ohio, who could really have something. You're still talking about a MAC team from a talent standpoint. 
If you're looking at recruiting and talent, the first four games are not throwing much at us. And then we get Penn State, Wisconsin, and Iowa, three of the next four games. Those teams are just absolutely stacked on defense. Um, You know, talking about three of the best defenses in the country. So there's that massive pivot point, and it's like, we we really hope, you just really hope by the end of September, there are positive indicators, right? Where we see growth, we see things going, because then it just, the, the, the step up in class is so massive for this offense that you just hope that they've found something by that point. So um, predictions for Penn state, what do we expect this season? I mean, it's sounding like we're expecting third or fourth in the East is kind of their ceiling. I mean, floor for me is like five wins. Yeah. It's the ceiling of like maybe eight if they seven or eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as good as their defense could be, it's just way easier to map out a situation where things go wrong than right. Cause their best defensive player got hurt all of last year or half of last year. And one of their most promising defensive players was hurt all of last year. If one of those two guys gets hurt again, and if it's Mustafer, then that's going to put a big dent in them. And yeah, I mean, their schedule is, it's just rough. Like I think, right. I think Michigan, Ohio state, Michigan state, those all look like losses to me. And then the, right, the one, not... the one question I have though, and just, Halloween, Ohio State, guaranteed it's going to be a whiteout. Guaranteed that's that's a night game. Weird things happen at Penn State in at the end of October. You know they always, they, they always play that game tough, but I mean, I mean it is Ohio State. I mean I'm not going to say I'm not sitting here and saying Ohio State's going to drop that one, but you know bad weather, weird things can happen there. As currently as currently constituted, those teams are polar opposites. Ohio State is just all gas, no breaks, and Penn State is like, we have a D, and that's it. Um, so that it'll certainly be a fun game to watch. But yeah, I think I'm going to come around somewhere. I'll probably say seven and five. I think that they they find it a little bit more on offense, and they come out. I don't think this is going to be a great team by any stretch of the imagination, but I think I probably end up with seven and five. All right. Um, anything else to mention about uh, the New Lions? No, I got, I got, I got nothing other than, um, I guess yeah. I, I applaud the contract extension. for. I, for I, Frank I, no, I applaud Scuzz because I hope Scuzz at least has made you all feel a little bit better about like the fact that, Hey, this team is really working out some stuff. So for all you who are like, Oh, good God. After the first month we get fed into the wood chipper. Well, Hey, Penn State's Penn State's at least working through some things that this game is by no means a lost cause. And if if our team finds promise and finds an upward trajectory in the first four games, we can match up with this team. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for our Penn State preview. Head to our website, westslotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at westslotpirates. Email the show westslotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeCombe and Eric Skazba and Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.